Well, I started off on the trading floors and I worked for a variety of trading firms and then started my own. You know, interest is just down generally across the board in crypto. And we're seeing the same thing as the industry is. The idea that they have to wait for an old man to ring a bell for them to be able to participate in a completely electronic marketplace, which trades around the clock globally. Hi, my name is Jason Rasnick, the CEO of Benzinga, and welcome to the Raz Report. As always, before we kick things off, I want to quickly tell you about what Benzinga is. Before I started Benzinga in 2010, there were very few places to get real-time information on financial markets. I thought it was unfair that Wall Street had access to this information before the average Joe investor. So I created Benzinga to level the playing field for you, the retail investor. Benzinga is for the people and by the people. Now, let's dive into the show. All right, welcome to this edition of the Raz Report. We have the FinTech Power Hour, and we have a power player for sure. Steve Quirk, Chief Brokerage Officer of Robinhood Markets. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's really good to be here. My first time on this show. Oh, this is exciting. This is exciting times. All right. We have a lot of questions. We'll try to do as many as we can, but here we go. In college, you went to Wisconsin, I believe. I did. Were you always, were you always interested in finance? I always have been interested in finance. Uh, as a matter of fact, my my dad, uh, I we I used to get him for 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 Christmas um, Louis Rukeyser's newsletter, the premier newsletter. And yep. I don't know, you know, I'm I'm dating myself, but you know, he used to have a program on. I think it was Friday nights and whatever public he, access. Yeah, whatever he talked about, you know, on Monday would rally, right? <laughs> and so my dad loved it, but we all, we talked about investing in finance quite a bit. So it's always been something that I've been interested in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I know you went to TD Ameritrade eventually after college, but what were some odd jobs you did in the finance space before you joined TD Ameritrade? Well, I started off on the trading floors um, and I started at the CME and then moved to the CBOE. Uh, and I worked for a variety of, of firms, trading firms, and then started my own uh, with three other people. And we had about 28 people. We were a, mar a small market maker. And then we had a Dutch firm that came looking to acquire us. This was when a time when a lot of European firms were interested in getting in the US markets. Um, but my partners were older and they weren't interested. So I told them that I was interested in pursuing it. So I went to work for a Dutch firm, too, actually, uh, based in Amsterdam. And we had entities in New York, Amsterdam, uh, actually in in uh, a couple places in Europe and in Chicago. And then um, from there, I sort of gravitated over to the retail side um, right around uh, the late 2000s. Got it. Got it. And is that when you went to Ameritrade? Uh, first, I went to a company called Thinkorswim okay. um, with Tom Sosnoff, and we were acquired by, we were acquired twice and ended up being uh, acquired, well, eventually by Schwab. <laughs> yeah. How did you end up joining up with Tom Sosnoff? He was a friend. Tom was a friend who I had known on the trading floor. I'd never worked with him, but we knew of each other and uh, he was doing some really exciting things. So he had uh, he had he'd always said, like, you should come and join us. We're doing amazing things. And uh, I finally relented and joined him in 2006. So that was 2006. So you're at Thinkorswim. What year did you get acquired by Ameritrade? 
Uh, well, first, we got acquired by Invest Tools. Then we got acquired by uh, TD Ameritrade in 2009, and then acquired by Schwab in 2019. Got it. Got it. Okay. And, th and then your career eventually takes you to Robinhood. What attracted you at Robinhood? You know, it was funny. I, I, I have three daughters that are in their 20s and they're starting to, you know, they all have started in the workforce and being the unusual annoying father, I was harping on them about the importance of not only making money, but making their money work for them and investing it. And they finally relented one day and um, showed me that they had opened up Robinhood accounts. I was working at TD Ameritrade at the time. So I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And they said, well, we're going to do it the way we want to do it. And I said, okay, good. I'm supportive of that and I will help you. Um, so I like to tell people I basically followed my daughters here. I feel Got like it. this is the next generation today's and oh. the next generation of investors. So do you see like, exactly. So your daughter's like, okay, they're going to do Robin Hood. And then you looked at it. And so that, and that was part of what attracted you to the next generation. Is it, do you think it's because of the ease of use? Like, what do you think? Why do you think your daughters wanted to use Robin Hood versus all the other options that were out there? All of her friend, all their friends and associates are using it. So they're all, then they talk about it. So they all um, talk about what they're doing, but they all talk about how they're doing it. And they're not doing it on the traditional, what I, it's funny to, to call it a Schwab or Fidelity or E-Trader, those tr traditional, but, you know, considering they were the upstarts, you know, when I probably started in retail brokerage, but um, now I guess they're more traditional. So I think it's, it's what, you know, again, you can just look at the, you know, if you look at our demographics of 23 million people and half of them are first time brokerage users. That's where they are. And that's it's where exciting. They are. It's really exciting. The stereotype of Robin would have is like, Hey, it's just people with $500 accounts. It's just, you know, $500 accounts. Is that still hold true? That stereotype? No, it doesn't. And it's, in, it's, it's a, it's a narrative that, um, look, I thought the same thing, um, when I wasn't here. But we have a lot of people who are have larger accounts and are buy and hold. Um, we do have younger people. Look, if you if you look at the you know if you look at the composition of your customer base and you say that their you know average age is closer to thirty than sixty, they're naturally going to have a smaller account because they haven't had the time to accumulate that wealth. Um, but we do have um, clients that have some wealth, and you know they are doing long-term investing. We also have people who trade more frequently, but that's not diff dissimilar to what you see at other brokerage firms. Yeah. I mean, I, Robinhood, I think on savings right now is giving four high fours on four nine. money market. Four nine. It's also with, say with four two nine. million in, in uh, FDI insurance. Yeah. The four, 4.9% with 2 million in FDIC insurance. So I personally have a decent amount of money there um, because I could sleep at night and there was FDIC insurance and I didn't have to do the 250, 250 at different places. Yeah, that's know uh, one of the things I was I was talking to my daughters about, um, you know, earlier in the year when, you know, when we were matching, you know, every hike, I said, go look at your bank or checking account right now and tell me what you're making. A tenth of a percent I said, look, you can move this money in and out in a day. Why wouldn't you be taking advantage of this? So they did the math and figured out that's, that's a couple hundred bucks a year, right? Difference for yeah. them. Yeah. And 
you know, I, I have it in the FDA, like the cash, 4.9. But if I see a stock opportunity, I can pounce. It's right there. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a decent amount of money. And it's, you know, it's that. So I think Robinhood is a trade. I think it took time. I think in the beginning, people, early technology adopters, they adopt technology early. Yeah. And then, and it's just like when I used to use Google in 97 or 90, no, 99, I think it was. And people weren't using Google. It was my secret weapon. Like people would ask yeah. me a question, I would find the answer, and I wouldn't tell them how I did it. The same thing with Robinhood. I think it's a little bit of a secret weapon for certain aspects. I mean, there's different options for different folks. You know, do you think you'll ever introduce like Robinhood advisors, like financial advisors, for people? Um, I think you know. Look, we took the first couple steps. Like we basically have to grow with our customers. You know, as our customers grow and and their needs grow, they're going to need things like, for example retirement accounts, which we launched in a unique, unique way, you know, like a, a good, I, some 40% of, of people of our customers are either directly or indirectly involved in the gig economy. They don't have a 401k, nobody's matching their retirement, right? So we came up with a program that matches it and doesn't do it once, it does it on an ongoing basis. Every year we match your contribution. So we're filling in where um, companies don't exist anymore or don't have a solution. Those are things that, you know, as people grow, they're going to be looking for. We introduced securities lending basically so that they can generate income on a portfolio that they have, a slip program, a securities lending program. So well, let's stay on that one for a We're going to go back to the retirement in a minute too, but yeah. I don't think most people understand a securities lending program. So what I picture it as, if I own hundred thousand of Tesla shares. Yep. If someone wants to short it or whatever, mm-hmm. I can lend out my shares to your pool and I could earn some income on that. Is that That's correct? Exactly right. Yep. You earn income. So for people who quite a few people take, like I'll I'll give you a prototypical client. Seventy percent of their portfolio is something that they buy and hold for a pretty long extended period of time. They're thirty percent that they might go back and forth or keep in cash for opportunities. Um, so they can actually take that 70% and say, yes, I'm willing to lend it to whomever market participant needs that for any period of time. And then it generates income for me. So it's like passive income that's, that's coming into your account. And again, if there's a dividend or anything, you get like, like cash in lieu of the dividend. So, um, it's, it's actually really something that is really powerful for people, you know, another, another avenue for them to generate income if they have a sitting portfolio. Yeah. Is that your beeping on your phone? Sorry about that. I'll kill it. Yeah, no, it's you're, you're a popular man. It's Not, 9 a.m. You got, now that was five or six. I don't know who it is. Either the daughters or work. One of the it's, two. It's, but It's my daughters. <laughs> I hear it. I hear it. Just put it to, to, to vibrate. Yes. Okay, they're, they're going crazy. Okay, so that, that, that lending program, I don't think anyone else, I mean, maybe I think Interactive Brokers does it, but you make it very easy to do. You make it very easy to lend out your shares. Now, there's nothing, if I just keep it in cash, you can't do that. But if you have stock, there's ways for you to make income, which is pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Now, going to your retirement program, most, do any brokerages or do most brokerages offer match retirement accounts like you guys do? Some offer a match, but their match is um, just on when you bring it over. So in other words, I'll match, I'll, I'll provide a match or I'll give you an incentive to roll it over. But that's it. It's a one-time thing. So they're just interested in getting the account, and and that's it. Got and it. what what we wanted to do is say, look, the incentive should be 
I should incent you to contribute every year because it you'd be a you know like it just like a 401k if you know you're getting match it's free money basically and over the course of like look they're younger people so over the course of 30 40 years this really adds up and so that match continues in perpetuity as they continue to raise the contribution limits we match whatever that contribution limit is got got it i mean which is uh if you're getting no match right now it's free money i mean i'm not saying it's huge but it's free money it's it like, is free money, yeah, and it's uh, you know it's just a unique and intuitive way to save. Now, some of the people that are opening those retirement accounts also have never had a retirement account as well. So for those, and they're you know it, if they're unsure about what they want to invest in, we give them two options. Either you can pick you know whatever portfolio you'd like to pick on your own in a self-directed manner, or we have a guided portfolio for you that'll you can select. And, you know, it's a it's a basically a basket of super low um, cost ETFs. Yep. No, it's it's such a no brainer and such a great offering. All right. I'm going to switch to uh, crypto for a minute. Yeah. So Bitcoin is up 100 percent from its lows of last year. Basically, is Robinhood seeing a big interest in crypto again or is it still just people on the sidelines? Um. You know, if you so I'll, I'll give you kind of both sides of the coin. If you if you look at we have a recurring investment um, capability, but basically I can say I want to reoccur. I want to purchase something on an ongoing basis. I can say every day, every week, every month, every quarter, every year, etc. Still, the number one um, most popular instrument in the reoccurring investment program is Bitcoin. However, I would say the interest, and you can see it across the industry, like it's just been tepid. You know, we're in sort of in a in a bit of a winter. And so crypto overall, the interest overall across the whole spectrum of crypto is down quite a bit. Um, but there, you know, like I, I like to say, if you if you ask our customers, and I'm going to do this in really rough numbers. Um, if you ask our customers what they think about crypto as a whole, a third of them are super passionate and huge believers in the space from a technology standpoint and many other uh, utilities. A third of them are what I've called crypto curious. They've dabbled, they've played in it. You know, they're, they're they just want exposure because they think there could be an avenue for that. And uh, and then finally, a third of them they're they're not interested in it. They're just not doing it. They're going to do traditional investing through equities, options, whatever else, cash sweep, whatever else they do. That's kind of the way it cuts across the grain. Our job is to provide them avenues to do whatever they want to do. You know, of course, do it in a suitable manner. But um, so but but to answer your question more directly, you know, interest is just down generally across the board in crypto. And we're seeing the same thing as the industry is. Yep. No, 100 percent. I, I would wow. say I would say one other thing, though. We were very, very careful about the way that we evolved our crypto offering. So we didn't list 300 coins. We didn't allow staking. We didn't allow lending, you know, 4,000%, you know, where you can leverage coins and et cetera. And we did that intentionally. We were very, very careful about the way we did our, we rolled out everything um, because we didn't want to put our customers in the scenario that some of them have been put in. Um, and as a result of it, I think, you know, it, it sounds ironic to say, but we're, we're like a safe play for crypto. I mean, I, I would tend to agree. I mean, there's I can name it from Voyager to BlockFi, Celsius, um, FTX, all bankrupt. Right. I yep. mean, 
and uh, I was involved with the Voyager one, and it's a sad day for a lot of people that were in USDC and thought it was safe as being in J.P. Morgan. Yeah, um, but when you hear when you would hear customers, because look, they would ask us to do some of these things. You know, hey, I'm getting you know four thousand percent here. How come I can't yep. do that here? I'm like, come on, man. You know how this is going to end. <laughs> I wonder if Robinhood never came around. What would have happened? Like, would Meritrade or Schwab never gone to zero fees? Because I remember that day when, sorry, not I remember the day yep. that when Schwab, Schwab introduced zero, and then Ameritrade did the same thing the same day. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yep. Like, it was at 10 a.m. or and it was when the Charles Schwab had his book coming out, and yeah, and I, I actually think it might have happened anyway. Um, yeah. But it's it's really fascinating to think about the that. Um, that that whole period of time, you know, especially living through it and trying to figure out, you know, what what was going to happen, because like, you know, even in our days at Ameritrade, we knew exactly like if if the commissions went away, we knew we would have to grow trading by X percent in order to make it revenue neutral. And um, we just had an assumption that that wasn't going to be possible. Now, 2019 through 21 changed that all because we had such explosive growth. Right. Uh, the COVID explosive growth. I mean, part of me is like, hey, when's the next COVID? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, not to say I wish upon anything. I'm just saying that you had explosive growth. So, yeah, if the Schwab didn't Schwab didn't buy Ameritrade out then, you guys probably had way more AUM. The, the company would have probably sold for 60% higher. But again, like hindsight's 2020, and it really is that. And that's why, you know, I like to look in the rear mirror sometimes. My dad's like, the front window is so much bigger. Stop thinking about what you could have, should have, you know, because yeah, yeah. because honestly, we didn't know COVID was going to happen. Right. Right. But I so, but that, so like of all the bad things, like, look, people always, you know, talk about, you know, oh, my God, COVID, it was terrible for people. And there's so many terrible stories, which I, I would never want to downplay any of that. But they're like for me personally, the positive was I had three daughters that lived, didn't live at home and suddenly they're living at home again. Um, and so that was, you know, it it was fun for me, but personally, but, um, to have them home. But I think also one of the other things that happened was we got like, look, I've spent my whole life thinking uh, everybody's goal in this industry is to get more in more participants in our, in this industry, because I think it's the greatest wealth creating machine on earth, you know, investing in addition to your working. And, you know, people have struggled for years to convince people, look, have some equity ownership. I'm telling you in the long run, you know, all you got to do is like, look, buy a couple simple cheap ETF, broad-based ETFs. And over time, look at the historical returns. You will, you will thank yourself. Um, and it happened as a, partially as a result of COVID. So that's a, that's a really positive thing that came out of that. And there yeah, are more, they, more more people participating in the marketplace than there ever have been from a percentage standpoint. Yeah, they just may not be trading as often now, but you're 100% right. If you look at historically, the markets are up 10% a year annually over the last 60, 70 years. There's no question about it. In the short term, understand where there's you know concerns or what have you, but the market is, and it's a tax efficient, you know, you can hold, mm-hmm. hold long term. And then, um, I mean, it's, hey, if there was no stock market, you wouldn't know Elon Musk, you, meaning like he wouldn't have been able to leverage his shares in Tesla to then go do more spaceships or to go do 
uh, robotics. I mean, that's mm -hmm. it's just and that's with a lot of a lot of companies. So the market is one of those things. Now we're gonna go back to Robin for a second. So Robinhood, you guys announced 24 hour trading recently. I know it's on some select stocks. What's mm -hmm. your thoughts on this 24 hour trading? Are you uh, a big proponent of it or what, what are your thoughts on it? Mr. Uh, I've been a huge proponent of it um, just okay. because I think if, if particularly think about the Robinhood customer that's in, you know, as I said, closer to 30 in age, the idea that they have to wait for, uh, I'm going to self denigrate myself, an old man to ring a bell um, twice a day for them to be able to participate in a, a completely electronic marketplace, which trades around the clock globally. Like it was proven that you didn't need human beings on a trading floor because they weren't there during COVID. I know I came from a trading floor. Um, so they're so accustomed to be able to do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do. Like Amazon doesn't close. No, no e-commerce closes. And if you think about like the way the market operates, it is really e-commerce. So I think the reason why Traditional exchanges have not extended, look, they've extended their hours, but they haven't gone around the clock is because they believe that there isn't demand to be around the clock, but there actually is demand. And we, we're, we're in the process of proving that. So we have about 50 symbols and we're, where we've seen real nice spikes in volume is around earnings. Think of India, they come out with their earnings after the close intentionally, right? Then they talk about it, have a conference call, and all of a sudden the market's not trading anymore. Well, it is trading for our customers. Trades all night long. So they have an opportunity to do that and participate in that. Or when there's news, there's a lot of news that happens around the globe. It's not just the U.S. that generates the news. And people want to be able to participate um, when they see that those opportunities. You know, So I think in, in our mind, you know, in five years, we're going to look back and say, I can't believe the market wasn't open around the clock always, wasn't always open around the clock. The other thing I think that's really important is um, a lot of people do their homework. They they do some research on stocks or they, do, they educate themselves on what they're going to do with a portfolio or stocks when the market isn't open. They go to work, they come home, they do that homework and they're like, all right, yeah, I want to buy this stock at $10. Wait. I got to wait till tomorrow morning to do this. Then I'm at work again, right? So it's just a, a way for them to put an order in and say, I want to buy a stock at $10. I don't really care when it hit $10. It could be in the middle of the night. It can be in the morning. It can be midday. And, and I think the other thing I think that's going to be super interesting, hasn't happened yet, but I anticipate it will, is um, the way trading works is it's chunky. It's super chunky, like a whole bunch of volume at the beginning of the day whole bunch of volume in the middle of the day, or sorry, at the end of the day, right? If you And, and why is that, that there's a whole bunch of volume in the beginning of the day? Because all the news and all the orders and everything people want to do bunches up and waits for that thing to open. If it's constantly open, you don't have that, right? So it can you can effectively smooth out some of the things. And by the way, when, when the industry has had hiccups, it's because of that bunched up volume. Yeah. No, I, no, and that's yeah. When the market's closed and uh, there's uh, circuit breakers, it's because of the volume and, and not being orchestrated. So your point is, within five years, you think the markets will just be twenty four seven, basically, or maybe twenty four five, twenty four five, or twenty four seven. Well, it's twenty four five now, but we'd love to get to twenty four seven. The seven part's a little more difficult because some of the clearing entities and you know, 
Um, clearing houses aren't, they're not structured for weekends. Um, so, and by the are way, you guys, but are we, no, we can't do it without the rest of the industry. So, but we're working on it. Um, by the way, I think that's one of the reasons why people find crypto so refreshing is because it does trade constantly, right? And yeah. real time settlement. So that to most people, that's like, wow, I'd, I'd like that. You know, I'd I mean, like I, you could wire money on a Saturday mm -hmm. with crypto. I did that with someone recently who needed, you know. Um, okay, back in the day, Robinhood got some criticism for customer service. So yep. what kind of customer services Robinhood provide these days? It's 24-7. We provide 24-7. Um, and it's chat, email, and phone. So okay. we're, yeah. And and um, some of that some of that criticism was warrant because we had such an amazing amount of growth in such a short period of time that we needed to digest it and get the people in place, qualified people in place who could handle um, communicating with customers. So um, we're in a good place now um, and we've been in a good place for a while. So, um, so I think people are, and we see it in our satisfaction and NPS and scores. Got it. Got it. And, um, you know, the 5% interest, 4.9% interest with the $2 million protection, how do you guys do it? Uh, we have a series of banks, you know, that help us with, you know, that each uh, will take 250. Um, and um, by providing that, I, I think what we, what dawned on us is, look, we listened to our customers and what they were telling us is, particularly when the market got rocky, um, we're looking for yield. We need some yield and um, if we're not comfortable investing at this point in time, and like you are doing, or you said you were doing, if you want to park some money and sit there and collect close to 5% while waiting for an opportunity, it's awesome, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, so, so it's just listening to the customers and hearing what they're saying, you know, give us an opportunity to, to generate some yield um, while we are either waiting for an opportunity or in addition to having a portfolio. Got it. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's what I that's what I like about it. Now, in COVID, one of the things that exploded like crazy was options trading. Yep. Options trading, which I know you're an expert at. Are you still seeing people trading options or has that gone down a lot? And then if it has, what can we do to teach people the benefits of options? Um, I, I it has gone down, but if you look at if you just take a look at equities over the course of let's call it the last 5 years and then options, options have been growing at a at a at a quicker rate than equities. Say on Robinhood, I own Tesla shares. Yep. I'm not that familiar how to write a covered call or what expiration, what strike price. And I don't know, you don't want to get into the business of like making trades for customers because then they'll blame it on you. Mm -hmm. But could you ever see a, a strategy where you guys let the customer say, I want this strategy and you guys make that happen? Um, we, we actually do have something called Strategy Builder which is right. very intuitive and it's um, it's 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 within the app. So as soon as I click on one of the strategies and like the infographics are beautiful, there's a nice, concise summary of exactly what it is that you um, will be doing. Um, but, you know, again, we're self-directed, so people have to choose those. We just want to provide them an avenue to see those and understand how they can easily generate income off a portfolio. So covered call would be one of those things. There's also ones on there, you know, look, it, most people start off with some directional bias. And so you just tell us your directional bias will present 
um, some different strategies in a very intuitive manner. And then you can just look at them and see what they, um, what those descriptions are and what the, um, how that looks from a revenue standpoint. Um, but I do, I do agree. I think, um, look, uh, options can be a really, really, really useful instrument, um, for some, for those who want to use them. Look, some people don't, that they're very comfortable in the equity space and they don't have an interest in the option space. And, you know, we, we just make sure that, um, if you do, you know, we want to, we want to make sure they're using them in a suitable manner. Okay. And then the final before the fun questions is you guys recently presented at a Goldman Sachs conference. Mm -hmm. Anything new that you revealed that we don't know? Uh, we're going to the UK. So up to this point, Robinhood's been a domestic company, a US based company. First foray overseas is in the UK. We're already licensed. So I think that changes the whole complexion. Look, every single place, even when I wasn't at Robinhood, when I would travel, because I used to travel quite a bit and we had, you know, at TD Ameritrade, we had offerings in other countries. Yep. Every country I went to there, I would see something and they'd say, yeah, we're the Robin Hood of Australia. We're the Robin Hood of Singapore. We're the Robin Hood of Hong Kong. We're the Robin Hood of, of uh, Germany, right? And so we're going to go be the original Robin Hood. Like we don't have to say we're the Robin Hood. We are the Robin Hood, right? Got it. Okay. So now here are the, fun, the quick fun questions. What was your worst or first job, Steve Quirk? My first? Worst? Or your, you can do your first or worst job. Oh, my first job was detasseling corn on the back of a trailer. I wouldn't call it my how, worst. How old were you? I was like 14. You can be like 12 when you do that in Wisconsin. Wow. Uh, my worst was I was a sewer rotter. I worked for uh, somebody as a sewer rotter. So <clears throat> wait, wait. Is that when you aug a suit, like when you take a stick and you do the spinny thing? Yeah, to get yeah, yeah. You, you, you go in somebody's basement and go through a pipe or you go outside and dig a hole, which, of course, I was the one digging the hole. Um, okay. And then you sit down there. But the people I was working for who were, you know, union people were they were like, you know, I move, I was working too fast for them. And they would tell me, hey, slow down, slow down. Nobody is going to come down here. It smells like shit. Pardon oh my language. God. I can't say that. Yeah. Yeah, you could say it. You could say it. Okay. So that, so, so that so they just said, slow down. No one's coming down there. So you guys can get billed for more hours, basically? Yeah, yeah. Like, slow down. And I'm, it wasn't in my nature to be like, oh, I'm going to sit here for two hours and not do anything. So I, I don't – I think I irritated them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I learned how to aug a shower. You know, like how they have the hair and yeah. you take the stick and you spin it? Yeah. That was like the thing I could do. Like, Stacey would call a plumber and I'd be like, I know how to do this. I bought this thing at Home Depot. And I was so proud of myself. It yeah. wasn't an automatic auger. It was a manual one. Yep. But like you pay a plumber usually 250 to come do that. I could do it in five minutes. But I, I have one too. Yeah. Oh, you do? The, yeah. ma the manual one where the yep. hair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, it, but you were going down to the sewer. Well, we would go down to the sewer because what happens a lot of times is tree roots grow in. They get, Got they it. break into the pipe and that's what, and those are, you know, you need a something really strong. To so get. if they break into the pipes, how do you fix that? You'd have to fix the pipe, wouldn't you? Well, I think they just make little cracks in the pipe. Sometimes you do have to go fix the pipe afterwards. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. We lived in a house, a rental where a pipe exploded in our basement and it was, oh, it, was it smelled, it was a mess to move out. It was, and that's where I started bending it in the, in that basement. I had to like pick up the computers, my wall of traffic on the walls. I'll never forget it. I literally was jumping over sewers, um, I do remember when I was cold calling Ameritrade back in the day, 
and my the washer and dryer were right next to where I was working. So sometimes it would buzz, you know, when the, the, the cycle's yeah. over. And I would I would dive under the clothes. Like there was a the, there was a like a stack of like dirty laundry when the buzz would go and I would dive under it because I didn't want you guys to think I'm like at home alone, you know. Kind of like my like, texts during this uh podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You just had to throw your phone against the thing. I literally when that buzzer went off, I literally like dove because I'm like, you know, I gotta fake it till I make it, you know. Um, just like we all do in some respect, but it's been great having it's Robin Hood. I think has been great for the industry in terms of opening up way more options for people to get in the market. And, um, it truly has. I mean, I get more text messages. Hey, Jason, what do you think I should buy? I have $800 there. What do you think I should do? Or 2000. And these are people that would never have been open, open to the market. They just would right. never have been. And, um, to get 4.9 in cash, 2 million FDIC insured, you don't need to go buy a T-bill. I mean, it's it's you, it's it's really simple. I mean, I have real money at Robinhood, and it was really simple to set it up. It was really simple to set it up, and it's and I'm not in some crazy thing. I'm in some conservative thing, and when I want to put it in the market, I will, you know. Yeah. And I and I'll probably buy an index like a VOO or something. Mm-hmm. Um, would Robinhood ever introduce indexes? Uh, you mean like um, so? Yeah, yeah. like like there's like VOO. I don't know if that's Vanguard or something. I don't know. Um, well, I think we have a lot of those funds, either okay. funds or ETFs, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Would you guys ever introduce your own ETFs, I guess is what I'm asking. Oh, would we introduce our own ETF? We considered it because we have an index, which we call the RICS, which basically taught – it basically – um, You call it the RICS? Yeah. Okay. It, there's, it, an, it, there's another RICS. It, it basically um, show it, – it looks at our clients' portfolios and their behaviors – versus the overall broad-based market. And again, another reason we did that was because there's a tired old narrative that retail customers buy at the top and sell at the bottom, which actually is not true. Um, So, you know, you can tell people that or you can just show them the data and it's much more powerful to show them the data. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that could be interesting. All right. I think we've covered it. There's a lot more you can cover with Steve Quirk. Um, Runs brokerage at Robinhood. There's a lot more. He's a lot more than just brokerage. One of the biggest Wisconsin fans, football fans, Green Bay, um, and probably other things too. But to get some brokerage for this FinTech Power Hour, I know we have a FinTech deal day in New York. I think Steve will be there. Um, But this is one of the guys who knows the industry like back of his hand. And just one of the guys, if you read about him, you'll see. I mean, you're, you're you're a guy. Like products that you guys are making that will be introduced in Robinhood, your hands will usually be intimately tied with that correct yes yeah that's a, it makes sense so you're in, so the lesson here is you're in good hands because you've been in this industry for how many years i don't want to age you but how many years steve i've been here since 1987 1987 so all right i gotta take my calculator out so 87 to 2013 and then 2000 to 23 so 23 plus 13 23 okay you get that 36 years that's my howard stern joke he always does that like with his math and so <laughs> i think it's really funny it's uh trying to pretend like i'm him even though i could have calculated that quicker but uh 36 years all right so the guy's been around the block this is not a johnny come lately that you can't trust you know um you know like so that's good all right well thank you for coming on the raz report Thanks our fintech power hour. appreciate it it's a long time coming Congrats on the success at Robinhood and looking forward to more to it and see Steve at FinTech Deal Day and thank you for coming on again. Thank you.